Thank you, Brother Terry. Thank our choir. Thank all of you, our praise team, for worshiping this morning. I pray that it was honoring to the Lord. And so thank you for, for being here, and thank you for taking part in worship. What do you think the greatest verse, the Christmas verse in the Bible is? What do you think the greatest Christmas verse in the entire Bible would be? You know, a lot of people have different thoughts about that. Some think that uh, Isaiah chapter 7, 7 verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, and behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Some believe that that's the, the most important Christmas verse in the Bible. Others believe that uh, Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 they believe that this is the most important Christmas verse. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I've used that verse uh, during the Christmas season many, many times, and times not, not the Christmas season. Those are important verses, but I believe the greatest verse, Christmas verse in the Bible, is Isaiah chapter 9. Chapter uh, 9 verse 6 and so if you're able and if you would please stand as we read Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 think of this verse as we read and it's on the screen and so let's read this aloud together okay for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had just to open your word. Thank you for a time of worship and now for you to speak to us this morning through this passage. Give me the words to say, the right spirit to say them in. Allow your Holy Spirit to be our teacher and our guide. Speak to individual hearts and speak to us as a church. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. I reminded the children just a few minutes ago that this verse was spoken by the prophet Isaiah 1,000 years before Christ was born. And it describes in detail who the Messiah was to be. And so this morning, I want us to look at the first part of this verse. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Matter of fact, that's my sermon title. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Someone has said that before you can understand the solution, you first have to understand the problem. And so, have you, uh, have you ever watched a TV reporter and they'd go out on the They'd go out on the street and they'd ask these simple questions to everyone that passed by or to some that passed by. They'd ask simple questions like, when was the War of 1812 fought? And the person they asked wouldn't have a clue. They'd just stand there and look at them. Or they might ask, um, uh, who is the vice president of the United States? They wouldn't say anything. They'd just stand and look at them. They wouldn't have a clue. Then they'd say, name one president who was assassinated. They couldn't, come up with an, they couldn't come up with a president that was assassinated. And so I suggest to you this morning that if you were to ask a person on the street, do you want to be saved, 
the majority would say, save from what? Save from what? They have no idea, they have no concept, many have no concept in what that phrase means. So if you're taking notes, first of all, we caused a problem. We caused a problem, and that's sin. So the point is, you can't appreciate Jesus, a Savior, solving a problem that we caused ourselves until you understand what the problem is. You'll never understand why Jesus came to earth unless you understand what our problem is. It's a sin problem. Humanity is sinful. We're sinful people. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3 verse 10 says, There is none, there is none righteous, no, not one. How many are righteous here this morning? No one is righteous, not one. Even your righteousness, the Bible says, are as filthy rags. So we're not as good as we think we are. There's none righteous, no, not one. Simply meaning everyone has a sin problem. So the question now is, does, what does God think about our sin problem? We have that sin problem, but well, what does he think about it? Jot these verses down. You may not have time to find them, but Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, we want to look at verse 5 and 6. Notice the screen, it's there. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man, and it was great in the earth, and that every intent and the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually everything that he was thinking was continually evil think of that and the lord was very sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart that's what god thinks of us we're just sinful isaiah 53 verse 6 puts it another way because it speaks of mankind as being a depraved individual we we are totally depraved the bible teaches that simply means that sin has permeated every part of our being. Sin has permeated our heart, our soul, our, our strength, our mind. Our capacity to love God is permeated with this sin nature. We can't even love God because we're sinners by nature. Permeate means to spread throughout. And like when you came in the church this morning, in the foyer out there, you might have had a smell of an air freshener. Uh, you, that was permeating the foyer. It was just going throughout the foyer. Well, sin has, has spread throughout our being. Isaiah says it this way, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've wandered here, thinking this was going to satisfy. We've wandered there, wanting that, thinking that's going to satisfy. Wander over here, thinking that's going to satisfy. We've all wandered away. We've all gone, you know, oh, I think this will make me happy, or I think this will make me happy. So we've all wandered away in sin. Each one has turned, the Bible says, to his own way. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, speaks of that total depravity. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. The Bible says that we were dead in sin. We were dead, depraved. 
no capacity to, to please God, no capacity to love God, no capacity to honor God, no capacity to serve God. We were just dead in sin. And notice in that verse, we live after the desires of the flesh. It's all about what we want to do and what we want to think. We're totally depraved in our mind and in our actions. And so the point is, we all have the same sin problem. You know, from time to time, people want to tell us what's wrong with the world. We wonder what's wrong with the world. Well, what's wrong with the world? When you look at when you look at ourselves, when you look at humanity, we're what's wrong with the world. Mankind is the cause of the problem. We can't save ourselves. Others can't save ourselves. And God has to do it. I heard someone describe, I read someplace where someone described depravity as this, and I really liked it. We're sinners by deed, what we've done. We're sinners by nature, who we are, apart from Christ. And we choose only the wrong inclination of our heart and soul and mind. Our strength is only evil continually. Even the actions that men call good are prideful attempts of self-righteousness which God does not accept. So we cause the problem. But God brought reconciliation. Amen? We have a problem. We cause the problem. God brought reconciliation. So here's the point. Christmas is the account of God reaching out in reconciliation. We turned our backs on God. We moved away from God. Isaiah 53, verse 6. That's what we did. But God loved us and sent His Son. God loves us. Now, not that we love God, but that God loves us. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 8. Notice the screen. Isaiah 5, verse 8. We have, I have that one on there for you. Well, let me just turn to it. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 8. I'm sorry, Romans. I'm sorry. I have so many today. Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, it's not that we love, not that God, not that we love God but God loves us. And so we, we caused the problem. God brought reconciliation. So how did He bring reconciliation? He brought it unto us. God brings reconciliation unto us. And, you know, let's talk about relationships just for a minute. In every relationship, there's, there's retaliation. Every relationship, every broken relationship, there's retaliation. Someone did something and someone retaliated. And so retaliation is the opposite of reconciliation. Relationships aren't broken because someone fails. Relationships are broken because someone fails and someone returns in kind. That's the way we react as humans. We, we retaliate. The point is, I don't use grace to forgive, but I use this human tendency of vengeance. That's what my tendency is. A tit for tat 
you did me wrong, I'm going to do you wrong, eye for an eye, and that's what destroys relationships. And we do the same in return. But that's not what God did. Now, what kind of Christmas would we have this year if God did unto us what we did unto Him? What kind of Christmas would that be? We caused the problem, but God did something different. We did unto Him, but He did something different unto us. Unto God, sin, rejection, stubbornness, unbelief. Unto us, not retaliation, but reconciliation. And so the point is, we deserve nothing, and we get everything. And we deserve judgment, and we get grace. So how should I respond to God's reconciliation to me in my life? I'm a sinner, I caused the problem. I didn't love God, He loved me. I have a broken relationship with God. God comes to me in grace and love. So how do I respond to that? First of all, if you're taking notes, you receive His reconciliation in your life. John 1 verse 12 says, As many as received Him, to them He gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in His name. And so I respond to His reconciliation by receiving it. So the question is, have you received God's reconciliation in your life? You may think, well, my mother has. Well, that's good for your mother, or that's good for your father. But it doesn't mean anything to you. If someone else receives it and you don't, that don't benefit you in any way. This is when someone personally receives God's reconciliation in their life. Their forgiveness, uh, His salvation, His forgiveness. And so... You know, have you received God's reconciliation in your life? Have you been saved? Now, I'm not asking you if you know the date, you know the time that you were saved. I'm not asking you that. You know, some guys don't remember the, they don't remember the anniversary date. You know, they don't remember what year. They don't remember the date. But guess what? They're still married. They're still married. Even if you don't know the exact date and time, if you received Christ, you're still saved. And so remember that. You receive that reconciliation in your life. Have you received? If you have, that's great. If you haven't, you need to today. What, you know, what's more important than receiving Christ Jesus into your life? If you haven't done that, you can do that today. And so that's the first response to the good news of the gospel. You've got to reach out and take that. He offers it as a gift. And as many as receive Him, that gift, to them He gives eternal life. So the question is, how should I respond to God's reconciliation? First of all, you receive it. And secondly, you replicate it. You replicate it. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5. Listen to God's Word in verse 19. Second Corinthians 5 verse 19. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their transgressions to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So Christ, we receive his reconciliation, then we replicate that. We forgive other people as Christ forgave us. 
God's given us that ministry of reconciliation. Not only are we to receive it, but we're to replicate it. So here's the point. There are, you know, there's supposed to be other people who are following Christ because of you and because of me. We replicate our, uh, we replicate our, our relationship with Jesus to others. We lead other people to Christ. Can you, can you call names or uh, someone that, uh, that you led to Christ? Um, can you point to someone? Can you point to a friend or a neighbor or a schoolmate or a colleague or your brother or sister or your children that you, that you sat down with and, and you led them to Christ? Does anyone know Jesus because you know Jesus? So we receive him into our life, but we replicate sharing Jesus with others. We're supposed to lead other people to know Jesus. I mean, wouldn't, it, wouldn't this be the best Christmas ever if you could just pray with someone to receive Christ? Think what Christmas would be if you could do that. How about, how about writing a little note and putting it in a Christmas gift and saying, Jesus Christ is the greatest Christmas gift I ever received in my life, and if you haven't received him as a gift in your life, that salvation he has for you, I pray that you'll do it today. How about doing that as you hand out a gift? What about when people come by to visit during the, Christmas, uh, during the Christmas season? When they start to leave your house, why don't you just say, hey, we want to honor God a moment and we want to just pray and thank Him for sending His Son Jesus into the world and we hope and pray that you know Him as Lord and Savior of your life. That's the type of passion that a true Christian has. They replicate. And that's what we intend to do. So how do I respond to God's reconciliation? I receive it. John 1, 12. I replicate it. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. And I, I repeat it. I repeat it. All of us, all of us have challenges from time to time with relationships. We have, uh, we have perhaps difficulties with extended relationships. And so during this time right now, I'm praying that God would, would uh, bring to our minds names and faces of particular people that we really need to reconcile with. And so I pray that you will pray that too. It, it, may, not, uh, it may be your sibling, it may be your neighbor, it may be a colleague at work, I don't know who it might be. But I'm speaking... Uh, when a relationship goes south, someone hurt you, someone said something to you, someone did something, and, and it was returned in kind. That's what damages a relationship. And so God just doesn't want us to receive reconciliation. He wants to, us to replicate it. He wants us to repeat reconciliation. Unto me, you did this, but unto you, I give you grace. Wouldn't that be good to say to someone, unto me you did this, but un unto you I extend grace to you. And that's what God wants us to do. This is, this is something that I've had to learn over the years, and that's trying to be an instrument of reconciliation. We need to do that. And so we caused the problem. We brought, he, God brought reconciliation unto us. And then notice he humbled himself. You see, no time in Scripture 
or we're told to be humbled. Did you hear that? No time in Scripture are we told to be humbled. We're told to humble ourselves. To take the action that produces a feeling of humility. The point is, God did something humble. When you realize the magnitude of our sin problem, God did something humble. Unto us, what did he do? A child is born. He did something humble. Unto us, a child is born. Here's the point. To save mankind, God sent a child. Unto us, a child is born. That's a statement of humility. God could have come into the world as a king, but he came into the world as a child. That's a statement of humility. Unto us, a child is born. God could have come into the world instead of coming in as a ruler. He came in as a child. Instead of coming through a queen, he came through a peasant woman named Mary. Instead of coming to Jerusalem, he came to Bethlehem. Instead of, of uh, being with a, uh, coming while a party was going on, he came in a humble stable, came in poverty in a stable. So God did something humble. Unto us, a child is born. So we caused the problem. We brought, he, God brought the reconciliation. He did something different unto us. After we did unto him, he did something different unto us. He humbled himself, and God did something personal. You see, the incarnation is the greatest miracle in Scripture. You say, well, Brother Samuel, what about the resurrection? That's an important miracle, but God died. Christ died. Christ was buried, and God raised himself from the dead. See, uh, God, Jesus, created the universe. Jesus created everything in the world. Without him, nothing was made that was made. So I believe that the incarnation perhaps is the greatest script, a miracle in Scripture. Uh, Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, became a man. Some say... Well, is he God or is he man? Is he, is he God or is he man? Jesus Christ claimed to be fully God, and Jesus Christ is fully man. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully man. The man Jesus, the man Jesus, he hungered and he, he thirsted. He was tempted. He grew. He was without sin. So notice, unto us a child is born, that's his humanity, but unto us a son is given. That's his deity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's his deity. So God gave us his son, John 3, 16. Jesus is deity. Jesus is God. John 5, 23 says, Honor the son as you honor the father. Doesn't make a difference. Jesus is the same as the Father. Honor the Father, honor the Son. They're both one and the same. Jesus is God. God is Jesus. He's, he's, he's divine. John, 12, verse 40, or John 10, verse 30 says, I and my Father are one. John 12, 44, He who believes in me, capital M, deity, believes not in me, but in the one but in him who sent me and who sees me. One and the same. One God, 
eternally existed in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. One and the same, the Word, God, Jesus. John 20, 28, Thomas said, my Lord, and what? My God, one and the same. My favorite is Titus 2.13. Look for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. One and the same. One and the same. Now, years ago in church history, down through church history, there have been four eras taught in church history. Uh, we believe, evangelicals believe, Jesus Christ is one person with two natures. He's one person, he has God, he has the deity, and then he has the, the human nature, man. One person, two natures. Your nature is who you are. We're humans. That's how we experience our existence, by being humans. Your person is what you are. We're not reptiles, we're not angels. When you die, you're not going to be an angel. We're human beings. We're created different than angels. Angels are created different than us. So normally we're one nature, one person. But Jesus Christ was one person, but he had two natures. He was fully God, undiminished, always fully God, and then fully man, experiencing everything that we experience. However, the era being taught are contrary to the biblical Jesus that we know. The first era, some believe in two separate persons. God and Jesus is two separate persons. Christian science believe that. That's not the biblical Jesus. Some teach uh, Arianism. Arianism taught that Jesus is not fully God. This is where the Jehovah's Witness falls in. It's not the biblical Jesus. Then you have the New Age. Jesus is just a divine spirit. That's not the biblical Jesus. One person with one nature teaching that he was diminished as God and diminished as man. That's not the biblical teaching of Jesus. Jesus never gave up his deity, and he fully experienced humanity. This is the biblical Christ, fully divine and fully human. We don't understand it, but that's the way he is. Unto us a child is born, that's his humanity. Unto us a son is given, that's his deity, and that's the picture of the incarnation. Now, God did something personal. We had a sin problem that we couldn't solve ourselves. We were marked for hell, separated from God. God himself solved the problem for us. God became a man so he could live a life like we lived, but without sin. And so he could die a death that we couldn't die because of sin. So he did something personally. God did something actively, and I'll close with this. Unto us a child is born, unto us a child. Child is given, a son is given. John 3, 16, he gave, he gave, he gave. He did something actively. He gave himself to reconcile a world to himself. You know, in 2005, there were one in five gift cards were never redeemed. Are you carrying some in your wallet or your purse? Uh, gift cards that were given and you've never redeemed them yet? 
$9.72 million was never reclaimed in gift cards. So today, God's reaching out, you might say, with reaching out to you with a gift card of salvation. You can be forgiven, you can be saved, you can have your life transformed forever. God did, God did something active. Have you received it? Are you replicating it? Are you repeating it? We caused the problem, it was sin. God, brought a, God came and, 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 and brought a, uh, a way that we could have forgiveness through him. We to receive it, we to replicate it, we to repent it, or we to repeat it. And God humbled Himself unto us. A child is born, and then God did something personal unto us. A son is given, and that's what that's what the incarnation is all about. Let's have a prayer together. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity I've had to share just part of this verse, Lord. I've had to rush through it, but I know your Holy Spirit can, can speak to our hearts and speak to our minds as, uh, as we listen. And so I know you've spoken to people this morning. And God, I thank you for this time of the year where we can just turn our focus upon the birth of our Lord, Lord uh, and Savior, Jesus Christ. I thank you for each person here this morning. God, I thank you that you loved us enough that you did unto us not like we did unto you, but you offered to us forgiveness, salvation, a home in heaven. And Father, I pray at this time that for those who have never received the greatest gift of all, of eternal life, inviting you into their heart and their life to save them, I pray today they'll do that. Please speak to our hearts, I pray, during this invitation. And Lord, I pray if anyone here has never trusted you, that today would be the day they would trust you, Lord, and receive the greatest gift into their life, and that's eternal life, and having the living Spirit of God dwell in them. I pray today that we can examine our hearts, and I pray, Lord, if there's anyone that we haven't, uh, we haven't gone to and tried to restore or rebuild a relationship, Lord, that we would do that. And, Father, that uh, we would repeat that reconciliation with others that we come in contact with. Thank you for an opportunity we've had to share this morning. I thank you for each person here and those viewed uh, through other means. But, Father, this is the most important time of our service is when decisions are made and what they're going to uh, do, Father, after hearing your word. And I pray we'll not just be hearers of your word, but we'll be doers of your word. We ask now that you would uh, take charge of our invitation time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.